Well, good evening, everybody. It's wonderful to be home. Lovely to see you all, even though it's only for one night. And then we leave again tomorrow for Cape Town and then go to Bloom, but we'll be back on Sunday night again. So I've got a joke for you. You might have heard this one before, but I'm going to tell it again, okay? A father was passing by his son's bedroom and was astonished to see that his bed was nicely made up and the room was nice and tidy. And he sees an envelope propped up prominently on the pillow addressed, Dad. With dread, his dad opens the envelope and he reads the letter. Dear Dad, it's with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing to you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with mom and you. I found real passion with Stacy, and she's very nice. But I knew you would not approve of her because of all her piercings, her tattoos, her tight motorcycle clothes, and the fact that she's much older than me. But it's not only the passion, Dad, she's pregnant. Stacy said that we'll be very happy together. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter, and we share a dream of having many more children. Stacy has opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone. We'll be growing it for ourselves and trading it with the other people that live nearby for cocaine and ecstasy. In the meantime, we'll pray that science will find a cure for AIDS so Stacy can get better. She deserves it, Dad, but don't worry, I'm 15 and I know how to take care of myself. Someday I'm sure that we'll be back to visit so that you can get to know your grandchildren. Love your son, John. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Tommy's house. And P.P.S. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than a school report card. <laughs> that card's in my center desk drawer and I love you. Please call me when it's safe to come home. <laughs> Everything in perspective, eh? <laughs> Tonight, I want to share with you the, the balance between grace and faith. You know, I've been in ministry for over 30 years now, and I've seen some tendencies in the body of Christ, and I've met many tired, stressed out Christians who've given up because they've tried their hardest in their walk with God, and they can't seem to get things to work for them. Then I've seen a small, select few people who seem to have outward success, and they leave everyone else trying to figure out what they're doing right and what we're doing wrong. And then we were taught, coming from a word of faith background, that faith was this kind of currency that we needed to get to exchange for the promises of God. And then we ended up in a works mentality, thinking that we could move God because we've got lots of this stuff called faith. And then those same Christians end up getting tired and they have an encounter with grace and are relieved to discover that the, the work has already been done and it is finished and they have a revelation of faith, righteousness and the love of God. And I know I was one of those people that was a relief for me to discover that God loves me unconditionally and that I didn't need to work for his approval anymore. But then I've noticed many people in the grace circles who ended up being apathetic and lazy, and they still also can't seem to get the promises of God to work. And there's many people in the faith circles who discovered that they couldn't move God with their faith, and there are many also in the grace circles who discovered they also are struggling, resting in the promises of God, but they're not working for them. 
And that's why I want to discuss the balance between grace and faith. Because if I only lean into faith, it tends to legalism. But if I only lean into grace, it tends to mysticism. And both of them don't work for you. You're very quiet. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So he's saying here that it is by grace through faith that we need both to experience wholeness, to experience salvation, to experience what God intends for us. We need to have both. And the truth of the scriptures have already shown us that by God's grace, he's already given us everything. There is no longer anything that God needs to do from his side. He's done everything that needs to be done. And in Titus 2 verse 11, it says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So this grace in God providing every need before I even need it has already been given to all men. It's available to every person. By God's grace, Jesus has removed every obstacle. He's redeemed every curse. He's removed every sin. He's healed every sickness. He has done everything that needed to be done so that there would no longer be separation or an obstacle in my relationship with God. In 2 Peter 1.3, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as His divine power has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and, uh, and virtue. So God is no longer withholding anything from us. Amen. He's already given us everything so that I can experience a wonderful life because He's not withholding. He's an open-handed, generous Father. And the Bible says in Romans chapter eight, if God delivered up His Son for us all freely, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? So from God's perspective, He's like, if you've got my Son, you've got everything that you need. Because in my son contains the very Zoe life of God. Amen. So God's not withholding. So this is not the problem. And that's why I need to get rid of this mindset that I need to do something to move God. No, God moved 2,000 years ago through what his son did. In Ephesians 1.3 in the New King James, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The word blessed there means to speak well of. So we speak well of God because He's already spoken well of you. And He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. So again, we can see here the problem isn't from God because He has said, in my son, you're blessed. In Ephesians 1.19 in the Amplified, it says, so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable, and unlimited and surpassing greatness of His power in and for us who believe. He's saying God wants you to know this immeasurable, this, this immense power of God that is already in you. And many people are thinking, well, for me to get the power of God, I need to fast and I spend time in the Word and go to Karis and I want to encourage you to go to Karis. <laughs> because you get the knowledge of the true God. But many people are like, what do I need to do to get the power of God? And the Bible says here, 
that He's already put the very power of God in you. Amen? It's His power in and for us who believe as demonstrated in the working of His mighty strength. You have the power of God inside you. In 1 John 4, 17, it says, in this union and communion with Him, love is brought to completion and attains perfection with us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face Him because as He is, so are we in this world. So, as he is, so are you. I don't, no longer need to do something to get God to move. There's no, I don't need to be calling on him to come. He's already come and he's already deposited his power and he says the same as Jesus is right now, so are you. In 1 Corinthians six seventeen, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Romans 8, 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same power that resides in heaven right now, Jesus resides in you. So I'm reading this so that you could understand that from God's perspective, by God's grace, He's already given you all that you need. He's already given you His power. He's already blessed you. You are already in union with Him. You have the same resurrection power that raised a dead man, Jesus, who'd been in the tomb from the dead on the third day. That same power resides in you and me. In Colossians 2, 9 and 10, for in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. The word complete there means you're full to the brim. There's no more room to add anything else. Can you see what God has done in his son Jesus? He's saying you complete, you lack nothing. Yet we go through life thinking about what we lack, what we don't have. I need to get the power of God. I need to get the promise of God. I need to do this. I need to do the next thing. When in Christ, God's already given it to you, deposited it within you. By grace, He has given you all you need. And you lack nothing. You are complete. In 1 Peter 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. You are already healed but we go to God. What must I do to get healed? When his word says, no, you're already healed. <laughs> In 1 John 2, 12, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I no longer need to go to God and say, please forgive me. He already forgiven me. <laughs> but for most Christians, what's the first thing that comes out of their mouth when they pray? Oh Lord, please forgive me rather than going, oh Lord, thank you that I'm forgiven. And not only yours, but for the whole world. In 1 John 2, 2, 2, 2 it says, he himself is the perpetuation, meaning the satisfying of God's wrath for your sins or our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. God's forgiven the world. So notice, as I've read through these scriptures, he's saying yeah, you are blessed, you have all things, you are complete, you have the power of God inside of you, you are healed. By God's grace, He's done it all. 
But most people are not believing what the scripture says about them. They're believing for what they don't want. Well, what do you mean, Steve? Well, what's going through their minds is all the things they don't have, and the more they ponder on those things, the more they believe for them. Nobody here, but you know those people out there. (laughs) So why aren't we experiencing it? How come God has deposited this within us, but for many people, they're not actually experiencing life with God and the promises of God are not working for them? Have you ever asked that question? See, that is why by God's grace, he's provided it. But by faith, I have to take hold of it to bring it to myself. And that's what faith means. The the word faith is the word pistis, which means persuasion or to have a deep conviction, to be immovable in the fact. And so I need to be taking what God has already done and I need to become immovable in those things. I need to be taking the promises of God and making them my own. It's like sodium chloride. Andrew Womack uses this illustration. If you only have sodium, it's poison and it'll kill you. If you only have chloride and you take too much chloride, it'll kill you. But sodium chloride together, you can't live without it. It's salt. We need both grace and faith. And so I wanna just show you how you can take the scriptures to yourself how you can persuade your heart of the truth of what God has already done by grace and give you something practical that you can apply in your own life by looking at what the word of God says. The Old Testament is our example and God had someone in the Bible who he'd given promises to and for a long time he couldn't get those promises to work until God showed him something. And when he got it, very quickly he saw a manifestation of that promise. You wanna learn how to do that. So in Genesis chapter 13, we're gonna look at the life of Abram in verse 14 to 16 in the Amplified. It says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had left him, lift up now your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give to you and to your posterity forever. And notice the promise. And I will make your descendants like the dust of the earth so that if a man could count the dust of the earth, then could your descendants also be counted. So Abram was now 75 years old when God gave him this promise. He said, listen, I'm gonna make you the father of many, that your descendants are gonna be so many that you won't be able to count them. That's the promise. So here Abram is given a promise. He knows God. He's experienced God and he's heard God say, this is my promise for you. In Genesis 15, verses one to five in the New King James, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord, this is a few chapters later, so it's a couple of years down the line. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. So notice whenever God comes and pitches up, the first thing he says is, don't fear me. Yes? Yes? I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So God comes and gives a description of himself to Abraham and he's saying, listen, this is who I am. I'm your protector. I'm the one who will look after you. I'm the one who rewards you because that's who I am. And Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless 
and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one will not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now, now notice God had already given him a promise a few chapters earlier. He's already experienced God. He knew God and he had a promise. But notice how Abraham saw himself. Let's go back in Genesis chapter 15. It says, after the words of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? He saw himself as being childless. God saw him as somebody who had many descendants. Yet Abraham saw himself as, I don't have any children. But God had promised him and said, no, no, my promise to you is that you have many children. So God spoke the promise to Abraham for years and he said, man, this promise, I'm gonna give you something to feel, the sand of the seashore. But Abraham still saw himself as childless even though he had a promise. Yeah. He knew the promise. He knew God. He'd had an experience with him, but he still saw himself a certain way. See, the word of God has to get in me where it actually affects my identity and how I actually see myself. I can't have a promise that is disconnected from my identity. I've got to be taking the promises of God and begin to see myself the way God sees me. Now remember the scriptures that we quoted, by God's grace, how does God see you? He sees you as blessed. He sees you as complete. He sees you as having the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. But until I begin to see that promise as real in my own heart, it will just be a distant promise and I will be just like all the other Christians who are like, I know God, I know his word, but it doesn't work. Because it hasn't affected the deep part of my identity. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's about faith, persuasion is about me taking the evidence of God's word like Pastor Arthur spoke about and taking that and it, where it begins to affect my identity so that I begin to see myself the way God sees me. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, we regulate our lives, our conduct and conduct ourselves by our conviction or belief, respecting man's relationship to God and divine things with trust and holy fervor. Thus we walk not by sight or appearance. So he's saying here, I'm not gonna be looking at what my natural eyes see anymore. I now need to look at things from a spiritual perspective because that's how God sees me. By changing the view of myself. See, Paul experienced tremendous hardship in life. 
Yet he said we walk by faith and not by sight. He had this conviction on the inside of him that nothing in this world could deter him from the way that he knew God saw him. See, the word seen there is talking about the ability to see with your eyes. But Paul sustained himself because he didn't see something with his natural eyes. He saw something with his spiritual eyes. That's what it means to walk by faith. There's a spiritual dynamic to who we are as children of God. And many people are shaped by culture. They are shaped by their past. They are shaped by their failures, their upbringing. And they are allowing those things to tell them who they are rather than taking the word of God, which is what God has breathed from his mouth and taking that vision that he has of me and making it mine. Where I begin to see what God sees and I begin to believe what God believes about me rather than what my past or education or experiences or failures or whatever it might be. You see, most people have taken those things and made them a part of their identity. So now when they are confronted with the truth of how God sees them, it's like, well, now I have a choice. I either believe my past, or I believe what God says about me. And for many people, it's like, no, my past is my reality. My failures are my reality. My experience of life is my reality. Instead of saying, no, the true reality is God's reality. So for me to see what God sees, I need to close my natural eyes and begin to see things with my spiritual eyes. Amen? So identity will define your limits in life and what you'll experience in life because it comes from the heart. And that's why the Bible says, God, your heart. For out of your heart flow the issues of life. And so we wonder why our boundaries are so small because our heart has established that those are what the boundaries are and we've determined what those boundaries are based on an identity within us because we are refusing to reform our thinking so that our thinking can affect our believing. Hello? <laughs> See, an identity is what you believe about you. It's your internal thermostat. And so for me, if I want to change the temperature of my life, I've got to change the internal thermostat. Hello? I can't live at 100 degrees if my thermostat is set at 25. <laughs> See, and doubts and external factors, they are all trying to tell you that you are not something. Yet the spirit man is trying to tell you something that you are a beloved child of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, the creator of the universe, lives inside of you, which means that you have the same creative power that he has. Mm. And you weren't put on earth just to be a nothing, just to be a bump on a log or a lump of coal in the ground. See, your mission, let me just quickly read a scripture. I'm going off topic here, but I just wanna read this quickly. In, second, in Proverbs chapter 18, and I just wanna Read this out of the Amplified Bible. I read it to the guys in the car while we were driving as I was reading my Bible. In Proverbs chapter 18, in the Amplified Classic, it's not in the notes here. <clears throat> Please be patient with me. He who is loose and slack in his work is brother to him as his 
Proverbs 18, verse nine in the Amplified Classic. He who is loose and slack in his work is brother to him who is a destroyer. And he who does not use his endeavors to heal himself is brother to him who commits suicide. If we do not endeavor to persuade our hearts of the truth of who we are, he says that we are brother to him who commits suicide. That's why going to Karis will only add to your life because you're gonna be taking scripture and it will reform your thinking and your identity. That was just for free, okay? <laughs> but you see, unconsciously, we're always gonna rise or fall to the level of what we believe in our heart. That is why it's so important that we change the beliefs of our heart. And God wants to breathe in you and transform you in such a wonderful way that you can experience the wonderful plan that he has for you. But for God to do something big through you, he needs to do something big in you. And so that for me to take God's plan, his purpose for my life, I've got to be thinking differently about myself. And you can read that in Romans chapter 12. But I wanna quickly carry on to Abraham about how Abraham actually got to believe the promise. Amen? Amen? See, thinking about God's word and meditating on God's word is so important. In Psalm chapter one, it talks about meditating on the word of God day and night and you'll be prosperous. And the word meditate there in the Hebrew is talking about a lion standing over its prey growling. That's what the word meditate means. Like, I'm gonna stand over this prey and nobody's taking it from me. And you growl over it, meaning, listen, I'm murmuring over this. I'm stuttering over this. I'm repeating, I'm watching what is going on because this is valuable and important to me. That's what the word meditate means. It's to ponder in such a way that I'm gonna think and keep this as my own. It means to roar or growl or groan, to devise and imagine, to utter and to mutter. That's what it means to meditate over something. And so God was taking Abraham on this journey to say, I want you to begin to see something. Here is a promise. I've made a promise. I see you as the father of a multitude, yet you see yourself childless. It's like you've encountered me, Abraham. You know that I'm real and true. You know me as God. You know my promise to you, but you still see yourself a certain way. I see you as the father of a multitude and you see yourself as being childless. 25 years later in Genesis chapter 17. Now, you might've been a Christian for 25 years. You know God, you know his word, but you've been struggling to get the promises of God to work. In Genesis chapter 17, verses one to six and then 15 to 16. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you will be a father of many nations. Nor shall your name any longer be Abram, meaning high exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, 
father of a multitude, for I've made you the father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Verse 15, then God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. And I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. A year later, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. Proof in Genesis 21, one to five. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken, for Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, and Sarah had brought to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old. Now God came to him when he was 99, 25 years after he had originally given him the promise. So 25 years Abraham had been struggling because of the way that he saw himself. And then God comes and speaks to him and he said, I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham. And in one year, Sarah conceives. You see, for him to get the promise to work for him, God got Abraham now to say the same thing that God had been saying for 25 years. He had to change Abraham's confession where Abraham could now start saying the same thing that God had been saying for 25 years. Because God had been speaking for 25 years. This is my promise. This is my promise. This is my promise. And he kept on saying, well, I'm childless. I'm childless. I'm childless. And finally, God got fed up. He said, I'm now changing your name. Abraham means father of many nations, father of a multitude. So now every time Abraham, when he went to introduce himself to somebody, he's like, I'm not Abraham anymore. I'm now Abraham, father of many nations. And his whole confession changed. And because his confession changed, his heart changed. And once his heart changed because he began to say the same thing about himself that God had been saying for 25 years, a new belief was written on his heart and Sarah conceived a year later. But brothers and sisters, you might have know the Word of God. You might have had an experience with God. But until you get the courage and the humility to start declaring what God says about you, where you start making the same confession of what He has declared over you, you're gonna know the promise and know God, but it's not gonna work for you. <laughs> you see, confession is not about me trying to move God. God had moved for Abraham 25 years later, earlier. See, God has moved for you 2,000 years ago. Confession is not about trying to change God's mind. Confession is about persuading my heart. Confession doesn't move God. Confession moves me. In Romans 10, 6 to 10, it says, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Well, how am I gonna get the promise? That is to bring Christ down from above or who will descend? I need to go and get it somewhere in the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. Where is it? 
in your mouth and in your heart. The Word is near you. The promise of God is not far. It's near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. He's saying this, this is where you get persuaded. The word of faith that we preach, the way that we get persuaded is when we begin to confess what God has been confessing over you, over me. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, healed, delivered, prosperous, made whole. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So what am I saying? Proverbs 18, 20 and 21 in the Amplified Classic. A man's moral self shall be filled with the fruit of his mouth. And with the consequence of his words, he must be satisfied whether good or evil. We will experience satisfaction whether good or evil and the consequences of what we want in life based on what is coming out of our mouths. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or life. What am I saying? What is coming out of my mouth? I'm never gonna make it. Life is tough. I'm alone and forsaken. I will never have a mate. Nothing ever works out for me. Why do I always have to struggle? Now, nobody here, I know that, none of you guys ever, ever said that or think that, but you know those people that when you hang out with them, that's what comes out of their mouths. In, in the message, it says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit, you choose. <laughs> in Proverbs 4, 20 to 25, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. See, that is the same promise that God gave to Abram. I want you to listen to me. I want you to see what I'm seeing. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. And then he says this, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Saying for you to guide your life, it comes from what is coming out of this thing. For you to get the promise of God to work I need to be speaking the promises of God. Well, Steve, I only will believe it if God speaks to me in an audible voice. When you speak the word of God, you're hearing God speaking to you in an audible voice. It just happens to be yours. Jesus said this in Mark 11. How much time do I have? They've thrown away that time thing. 
in Mark 11, 22 to 24. So, so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. In the original Greek, he's saying, have the faith of God. He's saying, be persuaded the way God is persuaded. And then he says, for assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Notice he's saying a key to victory is to be persuaded the way that God is persuaded. And when you encounter mountains, not to pray to God to remove the mountain, but for you to rise up in your identity as a, as a child of God and speak to your mountain. But most Christians are speaking to God about their mountain instead of speaking the word of God to their mountains and believing in their heart that whatever I say will be done to me. Speak to your mountains. And many times that mountain is unbelief. There's times when I have to speak to unbelief in my heart because worry rises up, fear rises up, chaos is surrounding me and I've got to take authority over that by speaking. What does God speak about that situation? Instead of speaking to God about the situation, speak to your heart. Speak to the mountain in your heart. What's going on inside here? And speak the word. Like when fear comes up, what does the word say? Perfect love casts out all fear. I don't need to fear. When worry and anxiety rises up, well, what does the word say? He says, don't be anxious for anything. Cast your care on me because I care for you. Hello? Begin to... Speak the audible voice of God over your own heart. Begin declaring what God has declared. Amen. By God's grace, He's already empowered you. By faith, take hold of it. And you take hold of it by speaking it over your life, declaring it over your life. Appropriate what He has already given. In Philemon 1 verse 6, I'm gonna close with these two scriptures. I see a big zero there. In Philemon chapter 1 verse 6. It says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. In, in the King James, it says the communication of your faith. Amen. How many of you want your faith to be effective? Amen. I do. He's saying that the communication, when I begin to communicate this, when I begin to acknowledge every good thing, which is in me by Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. Not every bad thing, every wrong thought or every failure or mistake or every sin. No, he's saying your faith becomes effective when I begin to acknowledge and communicate every good thing that I have in Christ Jesus. It's about a confession. It's about what am I declaring about myself and writing a new belief on my heart by that belief becoming a part of my identity. Now, in the beginning, man, you've got to confess the word to get persuaded. But there's a day that comes when your heart is persuaded and you confess the word because you are persuaded. And that's when you see miracles happen. That's when you see the word of God and the promises come alive and they're working. Not because you're confessing the, God, the, the word to persuade yourself. You're confessing it because you are persuaded. 
It's a part of who you are. And when you are speaking and declaring the promises of God from a persuaded heart, that's when you become immovable. That's when you become persuaded. That's when you become a person that doesn't just have to say it to get persuaded. You're saying it because you are the promise. If I don't change the boundaries of my heart, I'm always gonna get what I've always got. And I change the boundaries of my heart by changing what I see, what do I say about myself? Because you might be here saying, man, I've got promises, but I still see myself as childless. Change your view by taking God's view. Change your confession by speaking what God speaks. Amen. Amen. Practical application, I wanna leave five things with you. Take a scriptural promise, recognize that it's a yes and amen together with Jesus because the Bible says all of the promises of God are yes and amen to you. So now it's about taking a scriptural promise and involving Jesus in the process and saying, thank you, Lord. I'm a partaker of this promise. You went and you got the promise for me you are raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of God. I'm seated with you. Thank you that this promise is for me and it's yes and amen. And take that promise, whatever promise that might be. Number two, begin to ponder and consider and imagine and see yourself living in the fulfillment of that promise by activating your thoughts and your emotions. Begin imagining yourself living in the fulfillment of that. How does that make you feel? Because your, your emotions need to be connected to this. Can you see yourself living in that? Thirdly, begin to activate gratitude. Begin to declare thanksgiving by activating gratitude and giving glory to God that that promise is yours right now. You don't have to wait. That promise is yours right now. And begin to express gratitude that it's now and it's real for you. Number four, involve worship. Begin to worship God. Begin to worship him and thank him that his answer to you is yes. And live in worship and gratitude that God is doing what you can't do on your own. And number five, if you begin to waver, go back to number one. <laughs> Take the promise. Take the promise. Involve Jesus in the promise. Begin to agree that this promise is for me, that God desires this for me, that God wants it. He's declared it in his word. This is for you. Amen. And so begin to agree with him. Begin to ponder and mutter and meditate and think about the promise and growl over it and begin to persuade your heart in a certain direction. Amen? Amen. Activate gratitude. Begin to thank him again. Thank you, Lord, this is mine. Amen. Make it an act of worship. God, you're so good to me. Thank you, Lord. You are merciful and kind. And if you begin to waver, from the top, ladies and gentlemen, by God's grace, He's already given it to you. By faith, begin to appropriate it. Amen? Hallelujah. I want to just close with this. I said that a while ago. You are blessed. You are complete. You are healed. You are forgiven. You are empowered. You are powerful. You are his child. Take that and begin to declare it over your own heart. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet?
right now, practically, a practical application. Let's be a doer of the word right now. Whatever the promise is that you need right now, whether it's finances, whether it's healing in your body, whether it's for a potential partner, whether it's for a, a car, a job, whatever it might be, a, a sound mind, whether it's for comfort, God is all of those things for you. And He's revealed Himself as, a, as Jehovah, the all-sufficient one. And all of His names are redemptive in nature. And Jesus came to show us that's who He is. So right now, if you wouldn't mind, closing your eye, close your eyes and whatever the promise is that you need right now, begin to see yourself living in that promise with Jesus, with Jesus leading you into that promise right now because He's with you, He's for you, He's not against you. He's the one who's in you, who's empowered you right now. See yourself living in the fulfillment of that promise right now receiving it from Jesus, Him giving it to you with joy, Him releasing it to you with joy because He loves you and begin to thank Him. Just begin to acknowledge Him and give Him glory and thank Him, thank Him, thank you, Lord. You're so good to me. I know that, man, I'm undeserving, but I know it's by grace. I know it's because you're good. I know it's because you're kind. I know it's because you love me and you are my father and that you desire the best for me and begin to worship him. Let's begin to acknowledge him as God. Acknowledge him as a father who loves you as his child. Oh, how he loves you. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father not give good gifts to those that ask Him? Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. He loves you. And just begin to thank Him. Acknowledge Him as your source, as the lover of your soul. And Father, we just thank You tonight. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it's true. Thank you that it is living and active. And thank you that we can receive from you as a good, loving, heavenly Father. And we give you honor. We give you praise. We worship you, Lord, for who you are as a good Father, open-handed and generous to a fault. We love you, Lord. We worship you. And in everything, we covenant to give you the honor and the praise in your wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you so much, Vicky. You. you may be seated. Thank you.